So here we are now in session four of the series Battling Unbelief with the specific question of how does belief produce love and holiness and the killing of our own sin? And therefore, how can we battle the unbelief that would keep us from loving people and being holy and and killing our sin? And we are specifically in session four posing the question, how does saving faith work through love? Because that's what we've argued, that faith is what justifies us and the faith which justifies us also sanctifies us or produces the kind of love that is Christ-like. And we know that from this passage in Galatians 5, 6, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, the, the law-keeping is not going to avail for us, but rather what will? Faith. What kind of faith? The kind of faith that works through love. So faith has this power in it that produces love. And this session is all about how that works. And I've answered it in the last session with this summary statement, and now we're going to work it out. But let me read the summary. True saving faith inevitably produces love and holiness and sin killing because it is future-oriented That is, it banks on the sure, blood-bought promises of God, trusts the promises of God, believes them, tastes them, so that even though they might be future by five seconds or five million years, we can feel their reality in the presence. And what they feel like is saving faith produces love because it is, in its essence, a being satisfied. That's what it feels like to lay hold on the preciousness of God's promises. A being satisfied in all that God is and promises to be for us in Christ. So, Father, as we tackle the question, how does, how does love flow from faith? Or how does saving faith produce love? Open our eyes to this and transform our hearts into the kind of hearts that trust you this way and produce this kind of fruit, I pray, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go quickly because I've shown some of these texts elsewhere and I'll direct you as we go. Colossians 1, 4, and 5. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because so you have love you have faith but i'm focusing on love right now you have love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven so hope which is laid up for you in heaven which you now embrace and believe and trust in this hope you you take hold of it Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it produces love. That's what the because here means, right? How? How does that work? Let's go to the love command of Jesus in Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor. That's what we're after. I want to know how to love my neighbor And you've heard that it was said, hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies. Oh, yes, what a miracle that would be. Everybody that crosses us, we have a disposition of love toward them rather than retaliation. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, that is so impossible for the fallen human being to have a heart, not just a a will or a behavior that inside seethes with bitterness and hate while uh, doing nice things for people on the outside. This praying right here is authentic prayer. You really want good for your enemies. How can that be? So back up in chapter 5 of Matthew to 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you. These are those enemies now that we were talking about. They persecute you. That's the very word used in 544. They persecute you. They utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. And here's what you're supposed to do. Rejoice. Now that is a crazy miracle. That's, a, that's like raising the dead. That's like a man from Mars. I mean, that, that's crazy, glorious, wonderful, beautiful. Oh, God, let that happen in your people, because that's inexplicable. How, how can that be? Rejoice when reviled. Rejoice when persecuted. Rejoice when all kinds of evil is falsely spoken against you. Rejoice and be glad. How can that be? Because if that could be, then our prayers for our enemies would be authentic. We would love them as we ought. We wouldn't be hypocrites doing one nice thing on the outside while inside seething. We would have changed. And here's the answer. What can you say? This is so straightforward, so simple, so impossible, so glorious. Because for your reward is great in heaven. That's how you can rejoice when reviled. Your reward is great in heaven. That's how you can rejoice when persecuted. Rejoice when spoken against falsely. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So faith in this future reward is the key to rejoicing, which is the key to being changed, which is the key to loving our enemies instead of being seething with bitterness against them. Let's stay in the Sermon on the Mount for a minute. If you then who are evil, chapter 7, 11, and 12, if you then who are evil know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, your Heavenly Father, in heaven, your Father in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? So there's future reward, right? You are going to ask God and everything you need in the next five seconds or the next five million years is going to be given you everything you need. So, all important logic. Therefore, that's what this so means, the Greek un. Therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule, right? This is love. This is beautiful, inexplicable, glorious love. And where does it come from? It comes from because you have a 
Father who has promised to give you everything you need when you ask Him because you have this confidence for the next five seconds, five minutes, five months, and five million years. Therefore, you can do this. You can do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Here it is again, Luke 14. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Oh, will you be blessed? Because they cannot repay you. You don't give a hoot about repayment in this world when you're in the kingdom, when you're being filled with the Holy Spirit and in the spirit of Jesus. This is not about repayment in this world. So where do you get the wherewithal to lay down your life and serve the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, who cannot pay back anything? Answer, because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is future. This is satisfaction guaranteed. Your heart will overflow with everlasting joy at the resurrection of the just. And that flows back. This is the ground that flows back into your ability to love in a way here that does not require any repayment. Now, I have already done complete labs, whole labs on each of the next three texts. So I'm going to blitz through these and direct you to the Desiring God lab section so that you can see the details. You had compassion on those in prison. You went there, you identified with them, and here's what it cost you. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That's what happened when you went in compassion, in love. This is love. And the question is, how did you How did you have the compassion to take the risk that all your property would be plundered when you showed compassion on the prisoners? How did you do that? And how did you do it joyfully so that they really felt you loved them? Because you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's eternal joy with Christ in the presence of God All your needs met forever and ever and ever and ever. That is the ground for this joy, which is the ground of this compassion, which is love. That's where love comes from. Or here it is in Moses' life. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures, fleeting pleasures of sin. We're not after fleeting pleasures. We're after eternal pleasures. He considered reproach of Christ, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Because he looked away to the reward, He was able to resist the fleeting pleasures of sin and accept mistreatment to serve the people of God. This is love. And this is where it comes from. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the greatest glimpse of love in the world. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, 
for the joy that was set before him, future satisfaction. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There is no greater act of love in all the world than that one. The death of Jesus for his enemies, despising the shame, being rewarded with a seat at the right hand of the throne of God as very God over all the world. That act of love came from his faith in things hoped for. Chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What was hoped for? The joy that he was going to have in his Father's presence with a redeemed people surrounding him and making much of him forever. And for that joy, he endured the cross. And that's the way love works. We are satisfied in the joy that God promises us in heaven, not on this earth. And that joy streams back into the present, enables us to despise the shame and endure whatever love costs. One more. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, there was no ease here. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So in affliction and in poverty, joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. This is love. Isn't it? In fact, it's called that in chapter 8, verse 7. This overflow of a wealth of generosity in the midst of their own affliction, in the midst of their own poverty, was love. And where did it come from? The abundance of joy overflowed in generosity, which is love. This is pretty amazing. Let's close like this. So, love is the expansive impulse of joy. I'm getting this from second verse of 2 Corinthians 8 and all those other texts. Love is the expansive impulse of joy in Christ, which overflows to meet the needs of others and to include them in our joy. If anybody ever objects by saying, oh, you're just using people in the pursuit of your own joy, the answer is no, we're not using people just for our own joy. We are seeking to include people in our joy at whatever it costs us. We long for everyone we love to join us in the joy that we are seeking through love. Or, better and more accurately, that we are showing through love. So there's the definition of love from these texts. And then here's the connection with faith. Saving faith, in its essence, is that very joy. A being satisfied in all that God is for us or promises to be for us in Christ Jesus. That is how saving faith works through love. Oh God, let it be. Let it be. 
in our singleness, our marriage, our parenting, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our churches. Oh, God, so satisfy us with yourself and all that you promised to be for us, that we are filled to the expansive impulse of overflowing to meet the needs of others. Next time, we start on how saving faith kills sin.